All right, let me start out by asking this question this morning. And I know this is uncomfortable for some of you. Just a show of hands. You can put them up, you know, slow. You can, if this is your wife or your husband, you can lift their hand as well. Um, how many of you just by nature are worriers? Okay. Man, look at that. We're all being honest in here. How many of you would say that you're, you're a dreamer? Like when you, you think about a vacation, you just envision, you plan, you like see where you're going, you lay it out. Where are my type A people at? Like you have, if, if it throws off your day, your routine is gone, you're just like messed up. Okay, now here's the thing. The common denominator with all three of those is this. You have this view of what's going to take place in the future, right? Ultimately, if you think about a vacation, you know what it's going to be like. I'm going to be laying on the sands. I'm going to be, you know, sitting by the pool. Uh, if you're a person who is a, a dreamer and you, you've got ideas about like a, a future business endeavor or different things like that, you just you daydream. And then the worriers, it's all the things that could go wrong, right? You know, you're thinking about, oh, you know, my kids, the first day of school, they get on the bus, and what if this happens, and what if this happens, and you just, you worry about things that haven't even taken place yet, and so we, f we form our ideas based on future situations, and here's what happens a lot of times. Many of us uh, take these ideas and these views and these things that take place in our mind, and they become false ideas, like they're not even worth thinking about, but we allow them to, to affect us. And, and I remember as a kid um, going, I think I was in elementary school, the first time I was ever going to ride a wooden roller coaster called the Rebel Yell. Do y'all remember that? How many people have ridden the Rebel Yell before? Okay, now, this is the, before the days of YouTube and you could go online and actually, you know, people had GoPros and would film what the ride, was, what ride looked like. You know what I mean? So you couldn't go on there and see a literal view. You had to just go and as a kid standing there looking at this thing and, and hearing the people scream like it's terrifying, Right? And some of you, you still, you're like, no, I don't care what it looks like. If they got a GoPro 360 degree view, I'm not getting on a roller coaster because you just, it, it freaks you out. And so I remember as a kid, like I had crossed over the, the threshold of being able to ride the ride and I was able to get on it and I'm just like the anticipation and like, oh, it's going to be scared. And what if I throw up or what if I pee my pants or, you know, like you just, you, you think all these things and you, and you build it up like so huge. And so I remember standing in line and the anticipation, you get down, they put the bar on you and, you know, you all the way to the top and just your heart's just beating, your adrenaline's pumping and they're like, hold your hands up. And I'm like, not going to happen, you know, I'm holding on. And, and I'll never forget like the first time just you get to the top and you look down and it's just like, what have I got myself into? And you go down and then that, that thrill. And I remember I came out of the seat. I, I'm not exaggerating, not like I'm coming out, like, but just as a kid being so small, like coming off the seat and that feeling. And, and you know, it, it, all the Rebel Yell did was this and then it does a turn and comes, you know, comes back. And I remember coming into the part where you park and you're like, that was awesome, right? I mean, it was just so exciting that you're, you're like, I want to do it again. And all these things I had built up in my mind of what it was going to be like, they were false. Because I had all the fears of what if I come out of the seat and what if I fly off and what if I die and blah, blah, blah. And then they told me I could ride it backwards. Did you guys know this? You can get on it and go backwards. So you go up backwards this way and ride down and it's just that exhilarating feeling. And so what I built up in my mind of what the rebel yell looked like was not even true. Now, some of you go, I don't care what your story is. I still am not getting on a roller coaster just because you're terrified. Well, that's fine. You may struggle with other areas. You know, some of you, you're, you're weirded out. You cannot stand needles. Yeah? I mean, it's just this little, little tiny, you know, 
small, the smallest thing you could probably put in a person's skin, like it just messes you up and you're like, man, I hate needles. They're ter- you're terrified. If you have to go to the dentist, if you know you have to get a shot or blood drawn, I mean, you're just, you're messed up the whole day. That's all you can think about. And some of you are like, that's me. And, and maybe you've gotten a shot and afterwards you're like, okay, it wasn't that bad. You realize, okay, going to the DMV, right? You've built it up in your mind. You just know that it's going to be the worst experience ever, that everybody there is, hates their job, and you get there and find out that is exactly true. <laughs> but here's the thing, like, as humans, all of us have shaped our view about things that sometimes we realize they're irrational. But also, the other thing that's true is this, is all of us have shaped our view about who God is, Right? Every one of us in here, if I were to say, who is God, explain that to me, you would give me your idea or your picture or what you were taught growing up about who God is. And some of those, as we begin to talk today, and obviously we can't cover it all, we'll see that maybe those things are false, but maybe some of those things are true. We have all formulated our view about who God is, and I believe that this is the most important view that we hold. Out of every view that we hold as a person, this ultimately is the number one thing for us. And here's why. Because how we view God, it shapes a number of things in our life that are very important. It shapes our morals. It shapes our ethics. It shapes our view about sin. It shapes our view about forgiveness. It shapes our view about injustice when we see people who are um, being done wrong. It shapes our view about generosity and giving. And it shapes our view about service. All of those things are shaped on the view of who God is in our life. And it guides our approach and how we come to God and how we pray to God. The most important thing about you is not how much money you make. It's not the job that you have. It's not the person that you're married to. It's not the achievements. It's not the number of Facebook friends that you have. The the most important view that you and I hold is who is God in our lives. Now, if I were to give you this sheet of paper today... And I started to pass them all out, but then I knew most of y'all, like me, ADD, you'd be doodling the whole time and you wouldn't listen to a thing I was saying, so I didn't. If I were to give you this sheet of paper and I said, before the service is over, I want you to take this sheet of paper and I want you to draw a picture of how you just envision God in your mind as a kid, even now. I want you to list on one side all the attributes and on the other side, I want you to try to translate this picture of who God is onto the sheet of paper. And I handed it to you. Here's what I think would happen. Some of you, you know, you would you draw out the pearly gates and you draw out the clouds, right? And, and you'd have these people that are about this tall on your paper and the God who's just like this big. And, and that's how you would see it because as a kid, you know, how do you, how do you picture God? Some of you would maybe just draw this big ball of light or, or a sun or some radiant type being and go, I just imagine God in all his glory and his splendor and his majesty. That's what, that's what he looks like. Some of you would... You know, you've seen Lord of the Rings, and so you picture Gandalf the Grey and the, you know, the long gray beard, the white robe, and he's sitting at this chair with this big back on it on a cloud and, you know, looking down at the earth. Because, let's be honest, every one of us have thought, you know, I wonder what God looks like. What, what is God? As a, as a kid especially, who, who is God? Many false religions have come to this principle. They've identified who God is, and that has what shaped their religion. When you think about uh, Mormons, their view of God is he's not just the only God. He's one God among many gods, actually millions of gods. And you and I can actually become a God one day if 
through their beliefs through exaltation. And that's a little scary when you think about it, right? I can't, I lose my keys three times a day. Honest to goodness, I lose my keys. And, and, and if that were true, and it's not true, but I'm just making a joke here. If that were true, I could just see myself them like, man, he forgot to, to the sun again. Like, it didn't come out. You know, I, I bought this thing called a tile, right? This is a tile. And I don't know if you guys know this, but what this does is it helps you find lost items. If you lose your phone, you double press it and your phone will ring. If your keys are attached to it, you can do it from your phone or another tile and it rings. Because it's so bad, my memory is so bad, but you're telling me that I could possibly become a god. Unbelievable. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. The belief is this, that Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, God's son. Jesus Christ is Michael the archangel. And so they formulated their opinion about who God is and who Jesus is. When we think about atheists. There is no God, right? God doesn't exist. All of us today, we're just stardust. We just form by bumping into each other. And and it's this irrational thought. Uh, Cultures and societies long ago thought that God was the wind or or he was the sun. And and so that they would worship the actual creation more than they would worship the creator. And so again, going back to the point, depending on how you view God shapes how you live your life. Now, let's talk about us in here for a moment. As Christians, we aren't off the hook either because we have these ideas of who God is, and I believe some of them aren't uh, irrational or correct. I'm just going to go through a couple of misconceptions um, of who God is. And this, a lot of times, has shaped off um, a number of things. One, uh, how we were raised, our parents, and maybe what they taught us, the churches that we grew up with, um, the people who were closest to us and what they told us about God. Um, what culture has even influenced or said about us shapes our view of God. Um, maybe you got your view of who God is from the book The Shack, but that's a whole other thing. Um, let's talk about a couple of the views real quickly. All right, number one, the scorekeeper. Right? Many of you just have this idea that God's like the referee or the scorekeeper that you, when you played sports, and he's sitting there looking at you going, all right, let's see how many good things they're going to do today. All right, that was a good deed, that was a good deed. Uh Uh-oh, you left church and that person cut you off and he blows the whistle, right? And and he's keeping track. All right, that's one negative strike against you. There you go. Now you're going to have to make up for it. And so you walk around with, man, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have made that choice, so I need to make up for it. So at lunch you go out and like, man, I feel terrible about it. Let me buy the, you know, thing, the person's meal behind me in the drive-thru. And and so you've got this whole debit and credit type thing. Like you just think that that God is keeping track of the good and the bad. And in the end, you hope they work out, right? You hope that you got more good than you got bad. So maybe that's your idea. The other idea is the far off God. The one who is just, you know, God is in heaven. We're here on earth. He's not really concerned with us. He's there. We're here. I mean, if God really, truly cared about us, then why hadn't he fixed, you know, world hunger and and cancer? And why is there still AIDS? And why is there still hatred in the world? And so, you know, he's in heaven. We're here. And, you know, that's just the way it is. The other thing is uh, the hellfire and brimstone God. Right? Many of us, this is what we believed growing up. We went to churches, and this is what we heard taught week after week after week, that God is just angry. Right? He's mad, and he's looking at us going, all right, you sin one more time. You want lightning bolts? Let me throw them down at you, okay? I'm, not, I'm serious. I'll throw burning sulfur down here right now. You don't want to mess with me. And so you walk around with this timidness and this fear of who God is. It's like that ornery grandparent that most of us have. 
right? You go to his house and you know you don't take his chair, you don't take his remote control because he's going to like lash out at you. So you just kind of, st- you know, how, what kind of mood is he in today? And, and so you just see God in that aspect of he's, he's mad and he's angry and he's all the time and, and he's just looking to, you know, cast us down. And then there's the opposite end of that spectrum, you know, all God is is love and, or Jesus is my homeboy, Right? You walk around with that whole idea of like, we're friends, man. We're good. You know, God, he knows me. I know him. I love him. We're, we're all good. And, and so you walk around with this idea. And, and I can just, you know, picture here. I heard a pastor say it one time. He said, in Revelations, when we see God face to face, like when we stand, think about that moment. We're standing before God face to face, right? And it says his, his hair is uh, white like wool and his eyes are like fire, and there's a sword coming out of his mouth, and his feet are like bronze, and he's got a, a voice that's like thunder, right? And we see God in all his glory, and his face is shining like the sun. You're not going to be like, what's up, homeboy? How you doing? Give me a high five. Oh, bow down? Okay, all right, I'll bow down. That's not what it's going to be like. And so we've got this other misconception of who Jesus or who God is. And so today, as we start this series, Who is God? We're going to take a look at the first part of the Trinity, as we would say here. Who is God the Father? Because, again, we believe that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all-encompassing, one God, three separate persons, same nature, same being, we believe as a church that these are separate and have different functionalities. Separate in a sense they are have different persons, but all in one being. I just hope that's clear for you guys. So we could talk for a solid year about who God is. We could talk for a solid year about who God the Father is and not scratch the surface. And so today, we're just going to dive in and talk specifically about God the Father. But instead of us relying on our presuppositions, the things that we thought in our minds, the things that we've manufactured, our beliefs, the things that we were, were taught growing up. Let's look at God's word and see what he says about himself and about his character. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me today in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 31 and 32. And the first thing that we need to understand about God the Father is this, that God, he's caring. And he cares about our needs. This is very, very important to know because if we don't understand this, it can shape, it can influence our lives and how we live. We need to first understand that God cares about our needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our mental needs, our, phys- our, um, our spiritual needs, our financial needs. He cares about your life. He cares about your problems. He cares about your hurt. He cares about your pain. He cares about every prayer request that you've ever lifted up to him. God the Father cares about you. And this idea may seem foreign to you. God really cares about me. He cares about what I'm going through right at this actual moment. God cares. Because here's the thing. We associate fatherhood with what we've grown up with. The idea of the father figure, we associate with either our father who, you know, who was with us, our dad, or the person who took care of us, or our grandfather or whoever raised you. That's how we associate a lot of times who the father is. And I remember, you know, as a kid, and maybe you have kids, you would say, you know, you'd ask your parents for something, and you'd say, can I have this? And they'd say, no. You'd say, can I have this? And maybe your kids do this to you now. Mom, can I go to the store? Mom, can I go to a friend's house? Can I go to a friend's house? And they just ask you over and over and over, and you're like, oh, you just get worn out. And God says he doesn't grow weary. 
Like when we, we bring the same prayer request, I don't know if you're like me, but I felt like, man, I feel like I pray this thing all the time. Like God just, doesn't he get tired of me saying this? God does not get weary by our petitions and by our request. Matthew 6, 25 through 44, or um, through 25, 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples about worry. And he's explaining to them the importance of not worrying. So for all you worriers out there, I myself am a worrier sometimes, so, so I identify with you. He's walking around, and Peter points out the fig tree, and he reverts back to talking about where Jesus had uh, cast or, or basically rebuked the fig tree. And he's driving home the point this, that God loves you so much more than all of his creation. He loves you so much more. He takes care of all the birds. He takes care of all the animals. And, and they don't have this special place in God's heart like we do. How much more does the Father in heaven love us? And so in verse 31, here's what he says. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Get this. For your Father knows that you need all these things. In other words, he's saying all the things that you're worried about, all the things in your life, God the Father knows everything that you need. As we were riding to the store the other day, uh, you know, Pastor Andrew and I are, are kind of preaching the same thing, this message. Um, we were just talking about this, and, and my daughter's in the back seat, and um, we're talking about how, uh, you know, we're going out to eat, and Kylie's like, I'm hungry. And we're like, okay, baby, you know, that's fine. She's like, I'm really hungry. I want some food. And I'm like, well, we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to get there. It's going to be a little while till we eat dinner. And she's like, are we ever going to eat? You know, and she just keeps on this. And so I look over to Andrew, and I go, Andrew, won't you tell her what our message says this weekend? And Andrew goes, Kylie, has your dad ever not fed you? And she was like, no. And, and, he, and it was funny because he began to say, you know, exact, the exact premise of what we're talking about here, that he's going to take care of you like a father, like a good father would. He's going to take care of each and every need. And so when we are worried, God cares. When we're afraid, God cares. When we're hurting, when we're sick, when we're depressed, guess what? God cares. When we are in need, God cares. And if we hold on to these things, if we carry this anxiety, if we carry this fear, if we carry this hurt around and we worry about it, guess what? It will ultimately rob us of the joy that we're supposed to feel as Christians. We will walk around just like as a kid thinking about the rebel yell, wasting time, wasting energy, wasting brain cells, wasting worry, and we haven't even got to the roller coaster yet. And here he is going, why are you worrying? Don't you know that I'm going to take care of you? It's hard, isn't it? Especially those of you who have had any type of scare, a test, a, a, you know, a, a doctor's report came back bad and, you know, they want to do further testing. That time frame from the, when they let you know to the time frame where you actually go get the test, you are just, you're all to pieces. And you're posting it on Facebook and, and that's good. You want people praying for you. Don't get me wrong. And you're carrying this weight around that you were never intended to carry. And the whole time God is saying, guess what? I'm a good father. And I'm going to take care of you. Just trust in me. And if we don't understand the, the first characteristic that God cares, 
then we're going to miss out on a number of things in the Christian life. Things like confession and having a consistent prayer life and laying our needs at his feet. All of that is part of laying it down before him and saying, God, I know that you care. I know that you said you did. So here I go. I'm going to lay this down at your feet. I'm going to trust in you, God, because you know what is best and you're a good father. And 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he what? Cares for you. Now, this verse partly quotes Psalm 55, 22. And, and what we see here is a term casting. If you, if you think about, like, those of you who fish, you know, you've ever had a casting net. And, you know, it's so hilarious watching people throw casting nets for the first time. You know, those of you who fish know what I'm talking about. But there's this idea of taking something that is yours and throwing it onto something else. Now, the parallel you, you could draw from the scripture is in Luke, I believe it's um, chapter 19, um, Here's what we see, Luke 19, 35, of casting a blanket on a donkey. So here we have, you know, this is my favorite blanket. Many of you have your favorite blankets at the house. It's like that soft, just plush feeling on one side. It's like the, the wool feeling on the other. So depending on if you want, you know, soft or you want cold or hot or whatever. And so I'll get beside, you know, in front of my TV and I'll put this blanket on. And it's just that comforting but if this were to represent anxiety and worry, many of us have this that we carry around all the time, right? And so we'll take this and we'll put it on and we'll carry it with us to work and we'll carry it with us. I just have this bad feeling that I'm going to just get a screenshot of me with this blanket on and they're going to use it for uh, something, something here. But we have this and we carry it with us everywhere we go. This anxiety, this fear, this depression, all these things around. And God, in his magnificent power and his ability to carry every weight, and he says, you know, cast your cares upon me, wants us to take it off, take off the pain, take off the shame, take off the bitterness, take off the unforgiveness, take off the hurt. And he wants to take this, and he wants to literally have us cast it upon him, right? He wants us to take it and lay it upon him because it's not meant for us to carry. Because why? God cares. The second thing we need to see is this. God is a close father. Now those of you, those of you who are parents know that these two attributes are very important for your kids. Your, your kids want to know, one, that you're caring and that you're close. I mean, just think about when your child gets hurt. What's the first thing that they want to do? They want you to run up to them, you know, baby them, give them a Band-Aid, hold them. You know, when, when they go to a new situation, they meet somebody for the first time, or they go into an environment where they're not used to, what do they do? They draw and they cling to your leg, don't they? They wrap their arms around you and they hold tight because what? It makes them feel safe, so they want to be close and they want to know that you care. And so that's the second thing. Now, as they get teenagers, they'll take the first one, but they don't care about the second one, right? They want to know you care, but they don't want you as close, all right? Just give me some space, mom. Let me go to the mall by myself. You know, let me hang out with that group. I said, you know, come here, give me a hug before you go to school. I'm not doing it. You know, they want to keep you at arm's length. And then when they run out of money, then what happens? They want to be close again. Just use that for them next time. In Acts chapter 17, we, we see this picture here. Paul, and he's at the Areopagus, and this is a court um, named after a hill that, where they once met. Now, he's not on trial, but he's basically defending his teaching, his position here. 
And he's talking to these men, and as he walks in, he sees this unknown, this like statue to an unknown God. And it says that, if you read the verses prior to um, verse 27, it explains it a little bit better in 24 through 26. And he tells them that God doesn't dwell in the temples that were created by men, and he's not served by human hands. Because he made from one man, Adam, every nation to dwell on this earth. And in verse 27, it says the reason why he did this, guys. We have to get this this morning. The reason why he did this is so that they would seek God. They would seek after him. If perhaps they might, and this term that you can look it up, you can study it, the word like grope, to reach for, to, to feel after, to, uh, to touch for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Now, let's put this in perspective for a moment. God, from one man, created Adam so that what? All the nations might seek after, that they would reach after, they would long for him. He created us for his glory, for his honor, but ultimately that we might seek, that we might worship him. This is his ultimate objective in revealing himself through creation. And so God can be near us. Don't don't miss this. God can be near us. He's what? Omnipresent. He's He's near us, and he can still be at arm's length from us. In other words, God can be close to us, but we can still not reach for him. God can be close to us, and we still not reach for him. You need to understand that this morning. You can be going throughout life knowing that you need God and not reach after him. You can be dealing with a situation in your life on your own. God's going, I'm here, but you don't lean and you don't reach in after him. Now this is comforting to me knowing that it's not one-sided. It's not just me longing after him, but that God created me so that I might seek him because he wants to be close to me. I told you a second ago about my daughter Kylie. Um, one of the things that we've done ever since she was little was we play hide and seek. And, you know, I would hide from her and she hide from me. But, but what happened along the way, I'm not sure exactly when it took place, but she loves hiding from me. And, and, you know, how kids are, they're not just the greatest hiders, right? You know, they just get in their bed, throw the sheet over them, and there's this big lump in the bed and they're hiding from you, right? They think, you know, if I, if I just, like, cover my face up, you know, you can't see me anymore at some age. But somewhere along the way, she began to get afraid when I would hide from her because she didn't want to get scared. Now, don't get me wrong, she loves hiding from me. And I'm always, it's so easy to find her because when she's hiding behind the door, what? Her feet are sticking out the bottom, right? When she's hiding under, you know, under the blanket, you can see the bulge there. When we go to the store, she will run, you want to hide in the rack. So I see the clothes moving, you know. Other day we're at Second Fling and she's like walking down the middle of the clothes and like bump, bust her head and the whole rack shakes, you know. And she just wants to hide from me. And, and it's fun to play. But again, like I said, when it's my turn to hide, she gets afraid that I'm going to scare her. And it got to this point where like, she's like, I don't, I don't want you to hide. I mean, she just melt down, like just break. And, and I'm like, you know, what is she so afraid of? And, and so I... I sat down with her and I said, baby, you know, tell me what it is. Why are you afraid of me hiding? And she goes, I don't want you to scare me. And so we created this rule, this, this unspoken rule now that if I hide, I promise I won't scare you. You can find me. I'll just, I, won't, I won't say boo. I won't say gotcha. I won't go hi. I just stand there and you can tag me or whatever. And so 
me being the competitive person I am, I want to hide in the hardest spot possible because I want to make her, make her look for me. And those of you who know me know that that's true. So, you know, I will, I will do whatever it takes to hide in, in the room. And, and a lot of times, like, we'll just be sitting there in the room, and I'll take off running, and, and she just, like, all of a sudden she's like, oh, no, because she knows she's going to have to find me. And what would happen is she would just stand in the middle of the room sometimes and go, I can't find you, I can't find you. And I can see her across the, the room, and she hasn't even tried yet. And I can't find you. Where are you, Daddy? Where are you? And she just called my name, and she just start crying, and she start crying. And I'm like, she hasn't even looked for me. And she knows I'm not going to scare her. Like, what is wrong? And, and at a year, probably six months to a year, I do this thing where I go, and that's like our little calling. Like, if we're in the store and I do, or I go pick her up from school, I go, she knows that I'm there. And so she's built up this courage where she'll kind of like walk through the house and I'm hiding. She's like, don't scare me, don't scare me. Where are you, Daddy? Where are you? And I'll just make the sound just to let her know what? That I'm there. And, she, and so if she's across the, the, the uh, one side of the house and I'm on the other side of the house and she'll hear it, she'll turn around, she'll go towards me, but she's still like very adamant. And so just a week or two ago, we, we ran into it again, and she was just terrified, and, and I sat down, and she's five years old now, and I'd get on my knees, and I would look her right in the eyes, and I'd say, Kylie, and i hold her hands, I'd say, what are you so afraid of? And she'd say, I'm just afraid that you're going to leave me. I'm afraid that you're, you're just going to leave me. And I looked her in the eyes, I said, baby, I promise you, I said, I will never, ever leave you. I will always take care of you. Do you understand? And then I'd take her and what? And I'd wrap my arms around her and I'd rub her back and she'd hug me. And it's just that kind of moment. Now I say all that to tell you this. That's the same thing that God does with us. In uncertainty and shame and pain and all these things and we're going, where is God? Where is God? He's going, I'm right here. And we can walk around hurting and broken and carrying all these weights of anxiety and fear. And God the Father is there holding his arms out. And he's calling to us saying, I have never, ever left you. And I will never, ever leave you. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now. What feels worse than being crushed and brokenhearted? Being crushed and brokenhearted and being alone. Being crushed and brokenhearted and being alone is far worse than, than the first one. But God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am there with you always. Now, we can go through and list out all the attributes that God has. We could fill up this, again, this sheet of paper front to back, as many things as we can think of. But here's what I want you to get this morning. There's one thing that we see throughout Scripture more than anything else. 189 times, as a matter of fact, we see throughout Scripture, and 124 of those just in John alone, we see the term that's used, Father. God the Father. The attribute of Father. In the pinnacle moment in Jesus' life, let's just think about a couple real quick. When we see him, and he gets lost, and, and Mary and Joseph leave, and they go, where's Jesus? And they turn around, and they go back to the temple, and he says, you know, you should have known that I was here and about my father's business. 
right? When we see the disciples asking Jesus, teach us how to pray, which is interesting, they never said Jesus teaches us how to do miracles. How did you do that? Jesus, the, the thing they said was Jesus teaches us how to pray, and what did he start with? Our Father. When they're beating and mocking and, and, and crushing Jesus and, and ridiculing him and making fun of him, he, he cries out and he says what? Our Father forgives them for they know not what they do. And in his last moment on the cross when he's hanging there and he stands there, he says to them, or he says, he looks up to his father and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So this title that we see for God the Father is not based on a human analogy. We don't get the word father or God doesn't get his term for father based on what our definition of father is. We get the term father, our definition of God's attribute of father. Does that make sense? And there's a huge difference in this model. If you want to know what a person is like, who do you ask? The person closest to them, right? If I want to know how you're like at home or at work, when, when you're not here in church, who do I ask? Not your wife, not your husband. Who do I ask? Your kids. Because your wife, she'll be, she will say it in a loving and nice way. Your kids are just honest. Like, they'll just tell you straight out, like, who gets the remote at home? <laughs> Dad or mom or whoever. You know, who who's gets the most frustrated? Who's the nicest? Who's the, and they'll tell you straight up. And so that's who you ask. You ask the kids. So when we want to know about God the Father, who should we look to? Jesus. What does Jesus say about his Father? In Mark chapter 11, and this is not going to be on the screen. I'm just kind of give you a, more of the topic here. We see in verse 22. Um, we see in verse 22 that... Uh, he, this term of faith, have faith in God. We see this term, have faith in God in verse 22. Now, what, what does that mean? I mean, you can believe what he says is true, and you can believe he'll do whatever he says he will do, but ultimately, Jesus is saying you can trust the Father for your need. You can trust the Father for whatever you need. As a parent, you tell your kids all the time, just trust me. The other day we were driving Kylie to school. She goes, this ain't the way to school. And I go, I promise it is. Trust me. No, this ain't the way because we're going a different way. Just trust me. I know what we're doing. We can get there. And your wife say, hey, did you, did you pay the electric bill? Did you pay that thing? And, and I go, did, I did. And she says, well, are you sure you paid it? And I'm like, yeah, just trust me. And then most of the time I find out I didn't do it. And she was actually right. You know, if you were going to a friend's house or going to a party and you were rerouted and had a detour in traffic because of you know, an accident, and you called your friend and said, hey, don't go this way because there's an accident. And they go, are you sure? Like, just trust me. Trust that I know. I've seen it. Just trust me. So we use this term for trust all the time. Jesus said you can trust God the Father. You can put your life in his hands. And for Jesus to say something like this is very special because Jesus knew God better than anybody. And if Jesus said you can trust God with your life, it's a pretty good recommendation. And Jesus knew better than every disciple. He knew better than every prophet, every theologian, every philosopher, every person who's ever written a book. He knew the nature and the character of who God the Father is. And he says, you today can trust him. 
You see, Jesus spent all eternity past in the presence with God. There never was a beginning of God, and there never was a beginning of Jesus. So they had always been together, and in John 1, we see this term, prostantheon. We see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we fast forward, and we see in John 17, verse 5, he says, Father, give me back the glory I had with you before the world began. And so Jesus knew the glory. He knew the Father. He knew the attributes and the character of him. And he's saying to God, give that back to me, I believe, as he was praying in the garden. And here's what Jesus says, you can trust God with every need that you have and everything in your life. Let me just tell you a little bit about me and about you. I change. My mood changes. My thoughts change. My positions on things change. I flip-flop every now and again. I'm unstable when it comes to that. All of you are the same way. You have one good day. You come home. They're like, oh, is dad, is he mad again? Is mom mad again? We change. But guess what? God is consistent. His nature, he doesn't change. I'm impatient. Many of you are the same way. Some days I exemplify it better than others. Get in traffic, you're like, oh, you know, what's God trying to teach me? I'm trying to work on patience. God is patient. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't grow weary. As the Father, he is not afraid for you to bring your biggest need to him over and over and over again. He doesn't get frustrated by that. He's full of grace and he's full of mercy and he's patient. And I like compassion. You know, sometimes I'm judgmental. I pull up to people and they're holding signs saying they need, you know, this. And the first thing I do is, like, why don't you get a job? I can't help it. That's my nature. Maybe they have a legitimate circumstance. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But I can't help sometimes to cast judgment and not show compassion. But God looks down at every single one of our hearts. And the things that break our hearts break the heart of God. And the things that break God's heart should break ours also. And so he's not lacking compassion either. And so the question I want to leave with you this morning is this. Do you have the correct view and perspective of who God is? Because if you don't, you will miss out on so many things. You will carry weights you were never meant to carry. And you will inadequately view him as well. So what would your paper say this morning? What is it like? Is it accurate and ask you this question what things are you carrying that God says cast upon me today because I care I'm close I'm right here throw them on me and let go of them he can be close and you still not reach for him What will you cast upon him this morning? And so if this is true, if God is caring, if this is true that God is close, if this is true that God can be trusted, then what does that mean for you and for me? Let's pray this morning. And I want to ask you, <clears throat> how many of you are just... You're exhausted from worrying. How many of you just are exhausted?
from carrying around these things that you are never meant to carry? How many of you are just tired of feeling like God is distant and he's not there? He's saying this morning to you, as a father, as a loving father, I'm here. He's calling you today. I'm close. Will you reach for me? I love you and I created you. I know everything about you. From the moment you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And I want you. Come to me. The Father, open arms. Kneel down. Will you come to him this morning? Have you been keeping him at arm's distance? Have you felt this prompting in your spirit? You're tired of running. You're exhausted from running, from playing church, from playing games. Maybe you came last week, Easter, and that's the first time you came in a long time. And here you are today, two weeks in a row, and you're like, I know I need to make a change. And I know God is calling me. Will you come to him today? He says, first thing we need to do is repent. We need to confess our sins before him. There's nothing in us that is good. The best that we can offer is filthy rags to him. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and all of us deserve death, but because of God and his righteousness and his mercy and his grace and his love, sent his son Jesus and poured out every bit of wrath that you and I are due upon him at the cross. He did it before you and I ever trusted in him. And so after you make that confession and you repent, the second thing you need to do is you need to turn and you need to trust in Him with your life. And I'm not talking about a a prayer that you pray and you go, okay, I'm good. I'm talking about a 180, a transformation. And it will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. And I promise you, it will not be easy, but it will be worth it. And you can do that today. You don't need me can do it right where you're at and if you do that then we want to talk to you we have prayer people that are going to be here at the, at the end of the service that will be here at the altar that would love to pray with you and talk to you about your next steps don't leave here and run out and let your heart harden even more and the last thing I want to say is this for those of you who are carrying around that weight that anxiety and that fear and all of the things in your life cast it upon him today trust in him today he is caring and he is close he is here Father we pray all these things we pray that your word takes root in our heart that it overflows in our life that you might get glory and honor in Jesus name we pray and everyone said together